Welcome to the Moneyliners podcast on this Thursday, December 1st. This is Chris Nickel coming to you on Thursday night football day that will watch the Buffalo Bills go against Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots this evening. We will cover that game while also talking about LeBron's political epiphanies on racism coming back into the picture because he just can't help himself. And we will talk about our favorite topic this time of the year, the college football playoffs and upcoming championship games on a jam-packed, exciting college football weekend. We're going to start right there because as we projected on our Monday podcast, the committee has made it very easy for themselves to select the four final teams. We predicted that Georgia would remain number one, followed by Michigan and TCU. I don't think there was much mystery behind the first three picks or the fourth pick in USC sitting there poised for their Pac-12 championship game against Utah. Some debate between five and six. Was it Alabama? Was it OSU? It played out exactly as we projected. Ohio State at number five and and. Alabama at number six. Let's talk about Ohio State and Alabama and why number five and number six is logical and makes sense. I have heard many different ESPN talk show hosts and sports analysts debate the five and six question. As we said on Monday, there is no debate. When you add up the losses, of LSU, which is three, and the losses of Tennessee, which is two. Those are five games that two teams that beat Alabama lost. And one of those losses by LSU was to a sub-500 team in Texas A&M. The Ohio State Buckeyes have lost one game to the number two team in the country, with zero losses. And Ohio State has one loss to Alabama's too. Now, I've heard a lot of talk this week about how Ohio State got rolled. They got abused. All the analogies that have been used by the SEC-biased media. You do understand that Ohio State had the halftime lead. You do understand that Ohio State had the ball deep in Michigan territory, only down by eight late in the fourth quarter. Ohio State throwing the interception that Stroud threw the first one that then resulted in the 75-yard touchdown scamper by Edwards, which made it a 15-point game, followed by an inexcusable additional interception tossed in Patrick Mahomes style by C.J. Stroud that bounced off his receiver Johnson's hands and into number 91's chest, that resulted in the margin of victory. So really, it wasn't as bad as the score indicates for people that were actually watching the game every second of it like I was. The score did not indicate the game action that actually took place. So, the committee believes that Ohio State's the better team than Alabama. And it's real simple. If USC wins and TCU wins, the conversation is over. Those are your four teams. 
Now, I only stated TCU and USC because I have I don't believe in any chance for Purdue or LSU to upset Georgia or Michigan. Those games will be over by halftime. Pretty boring conference championships, if you ask me. But the TCU-Kansas State game and the Utah-USC game are going to be very good games. And at Moneyliners.com, we are taking the underdogs in both games at plus two and a half, Utah and Kansas State. The Kansas State Wildcats only lost to TCU by 10 points. And I would argue that Kansas State is a better team than they were when they lost to TCU by 10. In addition to that, Utah has already beaten USC once. And as I said Monday, Utah put 660 yards of offense up against Colorado, and Utah has a much, much stronger defense than both UCLA and Notre Dame. I will predict that one of the two, whether it be USC or TCU, will lose their conference championship. And as a result, Ohio State will be number four. Now, I don't see a scenario where the committee conveniently makes Michigan number one to face Ohio State in the semifinal. I think they'll be true to what they think are the best four teams, despite what the semifinal or championship game matchup might be. I am ready and excited to watch Utah and USC tomorrow evening. My son, who is a young, aspiring football player himself, has all of a sudden become a big Caleb Williams fan. And he's only watched USC twice. He's in Ohio. He doesn't even know where Southern California is, the university itself. Now, he's been to California several times for vacation. But he has no idea what a Trojan is. But he loves watching Caleb Williams. So he's ready, despite his Buckeye roots, to root for Caleb Williams winning the Pac-12 championship tomorrow night while his mom and dad are going to be rooting for Utah, of course. A, I love their coach. B, we lived there for five years, and it happens to be where my son was born. And we want the Buckeyes to get that fourth spot. And we know that the only way for that to happen is if USC loses. But that'll be a great Friday night game. And then Saturday at noon, we will be rooting for Kansas State. We like to have an upset in these conference championship games. And we need one of those two teams to pull the upset. Let's move over to tonight's NFL action between the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots. People are starting to doubt the Buffalo Bills. They're saying that because Von Miller is injured and the extent of his injury or how much time he's going to be out is unknown, the Bills aren't going to be the same team. Now, I agree that they are losing a Hall of Famer one of the best pass rushers in the game. The very reason they went out and got Von Miller was to shore up their inability to rush the pass. And the lack of his presence is already being felt. However, much to Stephen A. Smith's point, and I agree with him on this, 
The Bills can put up 40 points a game on you. Do they have to have Von Miller to win a Super Bowl? No. They can win without Von Miller. Do I think their defense is not as strong without Von Miller? Of course. But they can still get the job done. Now, Buffalo comes into Foxborough tonight as only a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Now, I think that's pretty easy money. Three-and-a-half? Buffalo is a touchdown team better than the Patriots. I don't know how. Well, the re- I know how because of Bill Belichick. The Patriots are only 6-5 and five because of their coach. They do not have talent across the field. But on either side, when you look at their roster, they are playing well above their talent and payroll. I think the Bills are tired of hearing about the Von Miller lack of pass rushing and the other guys stepping up. You know, Ed Oliver and Shaq Lawson, they talked about losing Von Miller. It, it, they, they want him on, the, on their team, on the sideline. They want him in the field. They, they're a, he's their partner. But they also said, next man up. We were a good defense without Von Miller, and we can be a good defense without him again. You're not giving them enough credit. So I expect Shaq Lawson, and I expect Ed Oliver to come out tonight balling. And I think that you're going to see Matt Jones on his rear end quite a bit tonight. And I think you're going to see the Buffalo Bills put the Patriots away early. Uh, I would anticipate this being at least a touchdown difference, maybe more. I just gave a free pick. Buffalo minus three and a half all day today in New England. I would lock that three and a half in now because I expect that by kickoff, that will become four points. Let's move over to LeBron James. LeBron James, again, you know, he grew up in Ohio, hometown kid of Akron, although he likes to say Cleveland or not. Cleveland and Akron are two very different places. So I like how he conveniently throws Cleveland in about it being his, where he grew up, instead of Akron. They're very different places if you're not from Ohio and don't know. He just does that conveniently. But he got on this kick about Kyrie Irving's anti-Semitic comments and link sharing of a film that I happened to watch the trailer of several times. And it is quite disturbing. Um, he's gotten into this tirade uh, more than once, but really blew it up yesterday when he brought up Jerry Jones. And apparently, there is this picture from 1957 that shows a younger Jerry Jones standing behind and watching, I guess observing, a a situation that was uh, not too kind to uh, six black students uh, trying to enter a high school uh, in Arkansas. There was obviously segregation issues in the 50s, and Jones was watching this take place. He was not participating. He was not engaging. He was a bystander watching this. 
Now, he's comparing Jerry Jones, the white owner of the Dallas Cowboys, and this picture from 1957, I'm going to say it again, 1957, to Kyrie's behavior, lack of apology until finally, in order to get to play again, he apologized, and his views on this film that are that are that's clearly anti-Jewish. Now, how you can compare the two is beyond me. Jerry Jones hasn't ever said he believes in segregation. Jerry Jones has never been accused, nor has he ever been convicted, nor has he ever had credible fingers pointed at him for being racist or against the black community or not hiring black coaches because they're black. Jerry Jones has always been a staunch supporter of some of his most controversial players, including Des Bryant and many others. I have never looked at Jerry Jones to be a racist or anti-anything. Is he an old, crusty, white guy that owns the Dallas Cowboys and he's very wealthy? Yes. But that hasn't changed. He was that way in 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, 2000s, all the way through the time that he's been the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. And over the course of his entire career as the Dallas Cowboy owner, no one has ever said Jerry Jones is racist. Now, a few years ago, when players in the NFL and in other sports began kneeling in support of Colin Kaepernick, kneeling during the national anthem or God Bless America or whatever they were doing that they wanted to show as anti-patriotic or uh, in support of Kaepernick's uh, situation in San Francisco, Jerry Jones came out and said, and it was very clear, if you are going to be a Dallas Cowboy, and he didn't care who you were, white, black, Hispanic, it didn't matter. You were not going to stick a knee on the ground and show what he believed was disrespect for the American flag. Now, somehow that made him perhaps racist in the eyes of LeBron James. Because LeBron James grew up a lifelong Cowboys fan, i.e., Jerry Jones as owner fan, and now he has banished the Dallas Cowboys from his fan world as an observer of the NFL. He has apparently done that because he feels that maybe Jerry Jones is racist because he didn't support players kneeling during the national anthem. He did not support the Colin Kaepernick controversy. So LeBron wants nothing to do with the Cowboys anymore. How do you compare someone's photo in 1957 as a very young Jerry Jones outside of an Arkansas high school watching what was fairly normal for the 50s? This isn't, this wasn't a, a protest or people blockading the entrance of six young black men today into a high school or college. 
that would obviously be a serious issue. This was 1957. How did Jerry Jones even know that what was going on in front of him was or wasn't normal? I think if Jerry Jones today would experience that, his reaction would be very different. He would be very adamant against that kind of behavior, and he would step in and speak up. I'm certain of that. You know, one of the things LeBron said in this interview as he was talking about the Kyrie Irving words and video link versus the Jerry Jones picture. He said these words, and I'm going to quote, Me personally, I don't condone any hate to any kind, to any race, to Jewish communities, to black communities, to Asian communities. You guys know where I stand. James said at the time, I believe what Kyrie did caused some harm to a lot of people, and he has since, over the last, I think it was today or yesterday, he apologized, but he caused some harm, and I think it's unfortunate. I want to go back to the very beginning of this quote. I don't condone any hate to any kind, to any race. And then follows that up with to Jewish communities, to black communities, to Asian communities. Those are the communities he chose. What he left out was the Hispanic community and the white community. So he could have stopped by saying, I don't condone any hate to any kind to any race, period. Or since he added the black community, the Asian community, and the Jewish community, he could have followed it up with the Hispanic community and the white community. Because as I said on a podcast last week, I don't believe in any hate toward anyone, period. I teach my kids to not see the color of anyone's skin, the color of their hair, the clothes they wear, the size of their paycheck, the car they drive. None of that matters, and it's what I teach in my home. But every time LeBron gets in front of a camera or a microphone, he turns everything into this anti-black community position. For example, he asked, well, I I don't know why everything gets made to be a big deal when it's a black athlete or a black owner or whatever. But what about Jerry Jones? Why, 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 Why didn't you guys ask me about Jerry Jones in that picture from 1957? So if you remove Jerry Jones from that statement and you add the names like Robert Kraft, John Gruden, Dan Snyder, Robert Sarver, Donald Sterling. Hell, we'll even add Urban Meyer in there. What do all those guys have in common? They're white. They're not black. They're white. And guess what happened when each of them did what they did? They were lamb-blasted. They were set on fire, figuratively. Robert Kraft? He liked massages and took those massages a little bit too far. Now, that was illegal, uh, immoral, I guess, if you want to call it that. 
But he was put right into the spotlight and he faced a backlash from all angles. John Gruden said some ridiculously ignorant things in emails, in conversations. He's no longer the coach of the Oakland Raiders slash Las Vegas Raiders. His career is essentially over. He paid the price. Dan Snyder. Dan Snyder of the Washington Redskins, who was involved in the John Cruden statements, who's been a controversial figure, who's owned the Washington Redskins. He has been in trouble for the last seven to eight years. Donald Sterling, an absolute racist, former owner of the the L.A. Clippers, caught cold turkey, done, and should be. He paid the price for his ignorance. Robert Sarver, who repeated words that someone else had spoken in his dialogue, he now is selling the Phoenix Suns because he doesn't want to be a distraction for the things that he said that were insensitive even though he was repeating what someone else had said. He is paying the price. And Urban Meyer, for crying out loud, the guy was in a nightclub at Ohio State's campus, dancing, sitting on a chair with a woman, an unidentified woman, dancing between his legs. Now, Urban's a married man. It didn't help that his wife said, I think she tweeted, I'm at home babysitting. But that was the end of his wife's statement. And as far as I know, Shelly and Urban are still married. But that was really the end of Urban in Jacksonville. Not to mention that he was a terrible coach in the NFL as well. My point is, all of these white men paid the price. So Kyrie Irving should pay the price for his anti-Jewish ignorance. And Jerry Jones, until he does something that, say, Donald Sterling did, or say, Robert Sarver did, Jerry's picture from 1957 should not be part of the conversation. That's outlandish. But LeBron, he has got to stand up for the black community. He's got to stand up for the suppressed black man, as he states while he lives in multiple $30 million mansions driving multiple $200,000 to $500,000 vehicles, LeBron has to stand up for those that may not have a voice, such as, I guess, Kyrie Irving now. Listen, when you are a Hollywood star, a political figure, or an athlete, You should stand up for everyone that is mistreated and not make it about a male or female, a black man or a white man, a straight or gay man. It should be about all people from all walks of life, all socioeconomic classes, all genders, all financial 
means. When someone is mistreated, you should use your platform to speak out against that mistreatment. Do not be selective and do not make comparisons that make you look ignorant. In comparing Kyrie's movie link controversy to a photo that is 65 years old of Jerry Jones standing outside of a high school where a segregating act was taking place in the mid-1950s is very weak. Come on, LeBron. I don't think you're dumb. I think you're a smart man. I think you have the opportunity, if you point things in the right direction, to really do something special at the end of your NBA career and into after your career, perhaps politics. I think you've got the opportunity to do that, but I feel right now you're going down the wrong path, the wrong direction. And the more you speak in front of a microphone or in front of a camera, the less you make sense. It's not a good look. It doesn't make sense to talk about Jerry Jones in 1957. If you want to talk about Jerry Jones today and say, when was the last black coach in Dallas? I think that's the issue. And on that, I would agree with you. I have said for years that there are not enough black coaches in any level of professional sports or in college athletics. I will stand with you, LeBron, up shoulder to shoulder on that because it's true. The data indicates it's true. The hirings indicate it's true. When you have 80% of your athletes in professional football, basketball, in those two sports specifically, because those are more dominated by African-American athletes than baseball or hockey. When 80% of your athletes in the NFL and NBA are African-American, there should be more than a small handful of African-American head coaches in the NFL and the NBA. That is a problem that's backed up by data. You know, during my career in higher education, I, without any prompting and without any laws or any sort of quotas that I was ever asked to meet, there were times that I would look around a campus and I worked in, on campuses that were predominantly minority, African-American and Hispanic. And yet when I would sit in a leadership room around the conference table, most everyone on the teams that I would inherit, meaning I was taking over a team, it was a new position of leadership for me, I was relocating to that state, that campus, that college, I would look around and everyone around the table was white. And then I would walk out into the hallways and I would see and I would talk with and mingle and interact with many, many African-American and Hispanic students. So as the president of that college, I took it upon myself when I was 
interviewing candidates for open positions, I would always select better representation for our student body. And I did that again without any sort of rules, laws, quotas, nudgings. I wanted the students that I served and that I led to have representation by leaders of that college. It wasn't going to be me being able to represent them because I'm Caucasian. But if I could get a dean or a director of enrollment or maybe a director of financial aid that was African-American or Hispanic, perhaps, depending on where, what state, what you know, demographic area that I was serving these students, I did. Because I wanted them to feel represented in the leadership group of their college that they've chosen to attend. The same should be happening in the NFL and in the NBA. It's not. And I hope that someday, again, without the Rooney rule and without David Silver's prompting or microphone bantering, that owners would simply hire qualified, strong minority coaches, many of which played in the NBA or played in the NFL. The most recent example of of one that really frustrates me is Auburn. Auburn, the Auburn Tigers. Now, if you look across the sideline of the Auburn Tigers, I see a lot more African-American athletes than I do white athletes. They had an interim coach in Cadillac Williams who had been there, done that. He was an Auburn Tiger, through and through. And for someone that just got thrusted into that coaching position, he didn't do a bad job. Two and two, 500 ball, they wouldn't have been maybe a 500 ball without him. And you had the opportunity to give that head coaching position to a young man who would have been blessed and honored and thrilled and excited and so, so happy to have been the permanent head coach of the Auburn Tigers. And I know that his players and his assistant coaches and most of the Auburn fan base and community would have been around the hiring of Cadillac Williams. But instead, you hired Hugh Freeze, who's coming from Liberty University. Now, we know what kind of controversy Liberty faced with Jerry Falwell just a couple of years ago. That's where Hugh Freeze was the football coach. And you brought Hugh Freeze back into the SEC to be the Auburn Tigers head coach instead of promoting Cadillac Williams? Based on what? Because he had SEC experience? Big damn deal. Cadillac Williams had SEC experience. He was a player. He was now a coach. And you chose the white guy, Hugh Freeze. Unbelievable to me. That was a mistake. And that to me was a microcosm of the exact issue in sports with the lack of minority coaches. 
you can look around at a few different hirings. Now, I did say just a few weeks ago that I had no problem with the Jeff Saturday interim head coach promotion in Indianapolis. That was Jim Irsay's decision. He will have to go through the proper process and and comply to the Rooney rule when he seeks his full-time head coach. I don't think it's going to be Jeff Saturday. I had no problem with that. But I have a serious problem with what just took place in Auburn with the rejection of Cadillac Williams and the hiring of Hugh Freeze. LeBron, if you focus on that issue, that data-driven, factual issue, I am with you, hand in hand. You will have my support. But when you start pulling out Kyrie Irving and comparing that to Jerry Jones in a picture from 1957, you lose credibility. And then when you really go to push for the fight, such as what happened at Auburn between Cadillac Williams and Hugh Freeze, you lose a little bit of the bite. Keep that in mind, buddy, when you're looking at things that really matter, things that are true. This is Chris Nickel, Moneyliner CEO and founder coming to you on this Thursday, December 1st. Enjoy watching the Bills at Patriots tonight. And remember, get that Bills pick locked in at minus three and a half before it comes becomes four. Have a great night. Thank you.